0: You're listening to a sermon from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. For more sermons or information about our church, please visit ktnaz.org or like Ketchikan Naz on Facebook. so I just want to remember this day. Peter normally takes pictures um, uh, for things that are going on, so can I just do a selfie of all of us real quick so that I can send it to them and they can remember us? Is that okay? Is that okay? Yeah? Um, okay, everybody smile. Okay? There we go. Okay, unfortunately my face is the largest in that. That's. I'll edit me out. How about that, Liz? And then you don't have to stare so much at my face. Okay, I'm going to email that to them so that they don't forget about us that they know we are praying for them uh, as they are um, serving God overseas. Um, I would normally dismiss the kids at this point, uh, but today is the last Sunday of the month, and we call that Family Sunday, uh, which means they stay with us, they learn with us, they see um, adult church worked out with us, and that's a beautiful way for families to demonstrate um, all kinds of discipleship applications. Uh, But if you have small little ones, four and under, We do have nursery available if they get squirmy. We always welcome children in the service. Uh, But if you'd like, if it's easier for you, if you just need a break, um, ages four and under, we've got nursery care downstairs. Um, And so uh, you can take advantage of that at any point if you need to. But know that we love children in this congregation, and we don't mind the little noise from the children because we love having them. Um, We are in the book of Matthew uh, this morning. Yet again, we are um, getting... We're close. We're in Matthew 18. We've been in Matthew for a while now, since chapter 1. We're slowly working ourselves through the book of Matthew, and we've found ourselves this morning in Matthew chapter 18, 21 through 35. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and read this passage. So if you would join me um, in standing as we read from the word of the Lord, and as you find it, y'all can stand. It gives us a moment to get there. All right, Father, we are glad to be in your house this morning, and as we read from your word, we recognize that when it is spoken out loud and read and when it is heard and when we say it with our own voices, Lord, we recognize that it doesn't return void. It works in our lives the way that you would have it work because you spoke these words and you are still speaking these words, and so this morning, as we say them and as we hear them, would you open our hearts and our ears and our minds and our eyes to see what you had What you would have us listen to, what you would have us apply, what you are saying to us this morning. Speak to each one of us individually, Father, and speak to us as a congregation as a whole. May we hear your voice loudly and clearly this morning. And we pray this in your name. All right, Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. The parable of the unforgiving servant. Then Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As much as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven might be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle his accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, the master ordered him to be sold with his wife and with his children, and all that he had so that payment could be made. And the servant fell on his knees and implored him and begged him and said, Please have patience on me. I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and completely forgave the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found a fellow servant who owed him just a hundred denarii, and he seized him, and he began to choke him, and said, pay what you owe. And his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, I will pay you everything. But he refused. And he went and put that servant in prison until he could pay the debt. Well, when the fellow servant saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And so they reported to their master all that had taken place. And the master summoned that first servant and said, you are a wicked servant. I forgave you all of your debt. Because you pleaded with me, should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had mercy on you? And so in anger, the master delivered him over to the jailers until he could pay all of his debt. So my heavenly father will do to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And This is the word of the Lord. And you may be seated this morning. When can I stop forgiving someone? Did you hear Peter's question in this? How often will my brother sin against me and I have to forgive him? How long do I need to forgive someone? If they keep sinning against me, is there a point in time that I can just stop forgiving him? Because it's going to get old and I'm going to get tired of it and I'm going to get angry at them. And I, at what point can I say I'm done? I just no longer want to do this. At what point... Can I look for the end of grace? At what point can I stop demonstrating mercy? At what point does a Christ follower cease to extend forgiveness? That's what Peter is asking. Peter goes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I need to know, if I'm following you, at what point is enough enough? And he asks the question seven times. Because in that day and age, the rabbis would teach a maximum of three times. Someone for someone offends you, forgive them once. Someone offends you again, forgive them twice. Someone offends you again, forgive them three times. But that's as far as you need to go is what the rabbis would say. Well, Jesus was, you know the rabbi of rabbis is a little more than the average rabbi. and so, He taught about perfection and being holy, and seven in the Jewish culture was the holy number, the number of perfection. And so Peter goes, well, it must be seven. If they offend me seven times and I extend them grace seven times, then surely I have perfected myself as a disciple. I've gone as far as God would have me go. I can wash my hands of that horrible person, and I don't have to forgive them anymore. But Jesus' answer is incredibly dramatic, equally as dramatic as Peter's question when can I stop demonstrating grace? He says this, listen, we dare not keep the number of times we grant forgiveness. So Jesus takes number, Peter's number, and multiplies it considerably. Now the math in that day, um, 70 times seven, Jesus was basically saying infinity plus one, okay? When Peter said, how much, how long, how far should I go? Jesus basically wrote back, infinity plus one. You're never going to stop. Keep going. There is no amount of forgiveness that will ever get you there. You are always and forever to extend forgiveness to the people who offend you. Infinity plus one. What Jesus is saying is this. In the life of a Christian, in the life of a disciple of Christ, one who says, I choose Jesus. I love him. He's forgiven me. I want to follow him every day for the rest of my life. In the life of a Christian, There is no end to the number of times we are to forgive those people who wrong us. And Jesus illustrates this with a parable, okay? Um, And if we remember, a parable is a little story with a big truth, okay? It's a little story. Jesus used things that people could see and touch around them. He used modern world examples from their day and age, a little story, to tell a big truth. And here's the story, right? We read it already that he says this, the kingdom of heaven might be compared to, it's a big clue we're going to get a parable from Jesus. It's story time with Jesus. The kingdom of heaven, meaning how God wants you to live and ultimately one day how God is going to enact the new kingdom, Jesus's kingdom, it can be compared to a king who is settling accounts with his servant. And one servant had a great debt and couldn't repay it. And so the master said, sell him in everything he owns. His family, his children, his cattle, his house, his everything. Sell him in everything he owns so that I can get my money back. But that servant panicked and, 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 and said, please, just would, would you, I'm begging you, please have patience on me. I will pay you everything. And the king had mercy on him and released him. And didn't just release him with extra time but completely forgave the debt. Now, that's, that's a good, good story, right? Let's unpack this portion. God eternally and unconditionally forgives people who repent of an immense debt against him. Um, here's the deal. This debt that this servant had was so great, so large, that it would have been impossible for this man to pay it off on his own. There was no way this person could have paid off this debt. How did he get it? He probably took out twelve credit cards and a car loan and camel loan and all of these loans. Okay, you know, I didn't have cars, so camels and goat loans. Okay, I don't know how it worked back then, but he had worked himself up into quite a great debt. So great that he was not able to repay it, and no amount of finagling on his end would have gotten him to pay off that debt. So he panicked and he begged. And the king forgave him. Now, the king stands for God in these parables, and the servants stand for God's people, okay? Good servants and bad servants, wicked servants and obedient servants stand as the, the difference between righteous and wicked behavior. And in this parable, a settling of account is a natural metaphor for judgment, okay? So, what we need to know is that 10,000 talents is this enormous debt, um, in that day and age, it would have been borderline what the mind and finance understanding could have comprehended. Um, think of the largest financial number when you read about Fortune 500 companies and Forbes, you know, uh, most wealthiest people lists, and you look at what people are worth in like the multi billions and trillions, and your brain goes, "I don't, even, I can't, like what? Uh, I can't fathom what that would be like to have that much money." The largest number you can think of, that's kind of what 10,000 talents was like. So when you read this parable and the guy owed 10,000 talents, it was the uppermost limit of what people could conceive of of money in that day and age. Um, the modern equivalent they range right now, about $1 trillion is the modern equivalent to um, 10,000 talents. So imagine, just for a moment, you owe someone trillion. How are you going to pay that off? You're just going to cry. That's all you're going to do. You're going to sit in a dark room and you're just going to cry because, right? Um, Because it's terrifying to owe that much and not be able to pay it off. So um, you might be able to think that this first servant is a wealthy governor. He had land, he had resources to sell, He had a family, and yet he'd gotten himself into debt, and he was unable to repay. And imagine for a moment, you owe $1 trillion to the federal government, and the government knocks on your door and says, you owe, pay up. And you're like, I can't. And they're like, all right, give me your children, give me your wife, give me your car, give me your house, give me your land, give me everything that you have got, oh, and you as well. I'm going to sell all of it to recoup what I can, and your family's going to be split up, and you're going to become slaves. And you're going to work for nothing, and I'm going to take all of your salary until either you die or your debt is repaid. That's what this man was facing. Um, So he begs for mercy. And it was a promise he wouldn't have been able to keep. If you begged for mercy from the federal government, and they said, okay, we'll, we'll give you your time, how are you going to pay the one trillion dollars off? What's the monthly payment on something like that? I don't even want to know. Okay, it's large. Um, so he was begging for something, grace, because there was no way he could ever repay that back. So to the astonishment of Jesus' original audience, he says this, the king pitied the man. Pity doesn't mean like sorrowful pity. Like um, it means pity like, ah. Oh, man, I can see they can't fix this. Oh, man, that hurts my heart kind of pity. Like, I'm, I'm feeling for this situation. I, oh, man, what can I do? So the king pitied the man and canceled the debt. How would you feel if you were, yes, happy, right? If you were on the verge of being sold into slavery and everything you love taken from you, and then all of a sudden someone said, you want to know what? I see this record. I'm just Gone. You no longer owe $1 trillion. You can keep your family, you can keep your land, you can keep your camels. Everything you owe, don't worry about it. I I don't, it's not going to bother me here. The king says, listen, sheer grace is what I will give you. Um, The word took pity is the same word for compassion um, in this language. And it's the same exact word that Jesus used in the Gospels when it said in chapter 9 of Matthew, he looked on the crowds and he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd and he was moved with compassion for them. He took pity on them. And what did he do in that moment? He fed them and he healed them, right? And then um, he had compassion on them, on the Sermon on the Mount. And when they were um, feeding of the 5,000 so that they didn't go home and die along the way, but he fed them so they had food for the journey. He took pity on them. He had compassion on them. It was a loving kind of mercy. And the king in this parable looked upon this servant who was in a completely hopeless situation and the king evaluated it and he thought in his head, I could make him pay or I can extend grace because there is absolutely no circumstance on earth that can change the situation of this man except my compassion. And so the king said, I'm not going to get my $1 trillion either way why don't I just extend compassion? Why don't I just love this man and give him a chance? And that's great, right? I mean, like, one trillion dollars gone, You just don't have to pay it. That would make you very happy, right? You'd want to live in that joy. But immediately, what does that man do? Well, the king chose compassion, right? And then the first servant chose condemnation. Hear this. The same servant immediately went out. The, the verbiage in the Greek gives the impression that this happened like hours later, like the same day, like he left the king's presence and immediately went out, found one of these fellow servants who owed him just 100 denarii, and began to choke him. Give me my money, you wicked servant. Give me my money. Pay what you owe. And the fellow servant fell down and used the same language he had used with the king. Please have patience with me, and I'll repay you. But he refused, and he went out and put this man in prison until he could pay his debt off. So the same scenario is reenacted two exact situations different value amounts of money. Um, what we need to understand about the value amount here is that the hundred denarii is like just uh, its insignificant pennies compared to what this one trillion dollar amount was um, the ratio of a denarii to a talent who cares the basic modern day equivalent um, is one million to one so for you know every one million. Denari is one talent. Um, it, it'd be like you got forgiven of one trillion dollars and you went and said, pay what you owe, choke someone out for ten bucks. It's, it's comical. It's, it's, it's like, seriously, like what what gives, man? But this man did it. He went and he choked this man out. He said, listen, um, I need my ten dollars back. And because you can't pay me, I'm going to throw you in jail. No compassion. The second servant pleads for mercy, uses the same words. This man would have known that he just did this. But just as the sums were owed, were sharply contrasting with another, um, the first servant's response proves entirely opposite to the way the king reacted. The king saw the hopelessness of the situation, evaluated it, and made a conscious choice to extend grace because he knew No circumstance on earth would change the man's debt except compassion. Well, for this man, um, the debt was great. Even if it was just $10, it was $10 he couldn't pay. So to him, the debt was the same weight, the same weight of debt, even though it was $10. And this man says, I refuse. The Greek was literally, I'm not willing. I am absolutely not willing He saw the servant's situation. He evaluated it just like the king did. And then he made a conscious choice to harden his heart and say, nope, I want my $10. I'm throwing you in jail. Now, servants work together communally, okay? And so other servants were witnessing this. And when their fellow servants saw what had taken place, okay, they went and ran to the master. Because they're like, dude, you just wiped out $1 trillion of debt for this man And he just sent someone to jail over $10. bucks. i would be pretty angry about that. What are you going to do? So the king called this servant back and said, you are a wicked servant. I forgave everything you had because you pleaded with me. I had compassion on you. You should have had compassion on your fellow servant like I had compassion on you. And so in righteous anger, the master delivered him over to jailers until he could pay his debt back. See, both original characters reappear on stage here. And he was furious that his lavish mercy was spurned. And so he orders the servant to be imprisoned and in my version tortured until he could pay all he owed back. But the reality is there is no way to pay back what you owe when you are in prison. You just are not going to pay it back because you are in prison. So the reality of this is He had been given great grace and he chose not to walk in it and he chose not to extend it. And he lived contrary to how that king had called him to live. And when the king found out about it, he said, now my grace is withdrawn and you are judged for the way you have acted. There is no hope for you now. You are in jail. And then Jesus closes the parable with this. So my heavenly father will do to every one of you. He's talking probably specifically to Peter, who was speaking on behalf of all the disciples. How often do I need to forgive? How many times do I need to forgive? At what offense is too great for me to stop forgiving? He says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. It's not enough to just say, oh, I forgive you, and then secretly harbor that, from your heart. To those who refuse to forgive, they are living contrary to the word of God and the call of Christ in their life. It might be stated like this. A discipleship life is marked by continual forgiveness. Okay? God's boundless grace And the absurdity of spurning that grace and the frightful fate awaiting God's unforgiving. We need to reconcile those things together in our mind. There's a balance of mercy and judgment. And Jesus sees no problem between the actions of a heavenly father who forgives so freely and so bountifully. And the actions of a heavenly father who punishes so strongly. And neither should we as Christians. It is precisely because he is a God of such compassion and mercy that he cannot possibly accept those as his own who are devoid of compassion and mercy. If we claim Christ and claim to own Christ in our lives and give him control of our life, then we are saying we will look like him and act like him, which means we are to be marked by the extending of abundant grace. Um, It could be stated like this. Those who refuse to forgive are living contrary to the word of God and the call of Christ. And that's important enough, we should say that out loud together, okay? So let's read that together. Those who refuse to forgive are living contrary to the word of God and the call of Christ. Did that make you go, ooh, when you read it out loud? It's different. Hearing it, you can go, that doesn't mean me. Saying it, it's a little more connection. For the rest of the sermon, we're going to be having scripture up on the screen. We're going to take time to read it out loud together. I'll cue you in when we're going to do that. Here's what we need to know. Um, God acts towards us in some very specific ways. We, each one of us, have sinned against God and racked up a debt of sin that is impossible for us to pay off. There is um, a balance so high in each one of our lives That no matter what we do, we cannot pay off our debt to a righteous God. We cannot work hard enough, long enough, do enough good deeds, say enough mantras, plant enough trees, rescue enough animals, give enough money, attend enough church, memorize enough scripture. There is nothing we can do to pay off the sin debt that we have accrued towards God. And so we are like that first servant. We're like, oh God, our debt is so large. Please have mercy on me. And God looks at us and he says this, I'm moved with compassion for your situation. Um, You are separated from me by sin. Your debt is so large, you are headed for only a bad place. And I see your hopelessness and I want to give you rest. I want to alleviate your burden. God's word tells us that He is faithful to forgive our sins if we confess. So let's read this out loud together. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you get what that verse means? It's not just that if we confess our sins are forgiven. That's salvation. That's a good thing. But it goes even more than salvation. If we confess our sins... He forgives us our sins and we become saved and one with Jesus, but it goes beyond that. He then cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He purifies your heart with the Holy Spirit and he fills you to the uttermost from his very being so that you can live a life of holiness, so that you don't keep racking up this huge sin debt so that those things which entangled you no longer have to entangle you. He doesn't just forgive you, he cleanses you and gives you hope that you don't have to live in debt like that anymore. That's good news. Your sin that should land you in hell, but God's grace abounds, and you've been freed from that through Jesus. Let's read this together. This is John 8. Jesus said, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free You will be free indeed. Don't you want to be free? Don't you want to have freedom and know that something's not weighing you down? That you don't have one trillion dollars of debt over your head? That you aren't wandering around going, I don't know how I'm going to get up this morning. I don't know how I'm going to... I don't know how I can't be strong for my family. I don't know how I'm going to live at work. I'm struggling under the weight of life. But if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed, not just from your sin... But from all of those things that entangle you, sorrow and grief and trials and tribulations, if the Son has set you free from the things of the world, you live in the kingdom of God. That's good news. That's what God has done for you. And if God has not done for you that this morning, God wants to do that for you. It has already been done on the cross. All we need to do is reach out and say, I want that. I want that freedom. Please, Lord, take this debt from me. But if that is what God has done for us, it is also what God says we should do towards others. If we have been forgiven of a debt we cannot pay back, we are to extend that same unlimited grace to others who sin against us. Because get this, in the parable, right, there was a man who owed a trillion dollars. And he was forgiven as his debt, he was impossible to pay back. And then a man offended him with a very insignificant thing compared to that first debt. And he said, you're horrible. Pay me back. I refuse to forgive you. God has forgiven us of an immense great sin debt. When people offend us, well, that's kind of trivial compared to the way we've offended God. We need to go, you want to know it? On the grand scheme of things, I love you. You love me. Let's put this behind us. I want to extend grace. The sins towards us, stuff people have done to us um, that we are choosing not to forgive, We are actively working against God when we refuse to forgive because we are saying this. Listen, person A who's offended me, your offense to me is so great. I refuse to believe that Jesus covered that on the cross when he died. Your sin, I don't think, is covered by the blood of Jesus. And I think I can say that because I'm God of my little world and I refuse to forgive you. So therefore, I won't let Jesus forgive you either. And that's what Christians say when we say, we don't forgive you. We're saying, God forgave my sins, but he doesn't forgive you of your sins. And I get to determine now, we don't have the right to do that. You're not God. We didn't die on the cross for the sins of the world. All sins were forgiven on the cross of Calvary. And we are called to forgive because of that. We don't have the right or the ability to withhold forgiveness. Scripture clearly tells us this morning, we are to be forgivers. Matthew 6, read this one with me. If you forgive others their debts, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their debts, neither will the Father forgive your debts. How does that make you feel? That's part of the Lord's Prayer. We say that, but do we say that casually? Do we really recognize what those words mean when we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Right here on earth in my life as it is in heaven. Give us this day. Lord, help me out. Give me my daily bread. Forgive me my sins. As I forgive other people who sin against me. Maybe we stumble across that too rapidly. Neither will the Father forgive your debts. If you are an unforgiving servant... The parable tells us the kingdom of heaven is like this. If you are forgiven, yet you choose not to forgive, God will deal harshly with you on the day of judgment. To help us understand how forgiveness plays out in our lives, I have some practical tips. Okay, it's good to read the parable, It's good, but sometimes we're going, I don't know how this works in my life. Okay, Forgiveness is not, here's a list of things forgiveness is not. I want to help you out with these. Forgiveness is not, Denying that sin occurred. Forgiveness is not denying sin occurred. That means forgiveness isn't, oh, that wasn't so bad. Oh, at least that wasn't as bad as you know over there. No, Um, all sin is bad. All sin is bad enough that Jesus died for it. When we forgive someone who offends us, we're not saying, that wasn't too sinful. That wasn't that bad. No, it was sinful. We need to call it what it was. That was sin, but we need to forgive it. And move on. Forgiveness is also not enabling sin. Forgiving sin doesn't mean you allow it to continue. It doesn't mean I forgive you and I'll let you keep doing it. Because I can't see it. I can't hear it. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness also uh, doesn't mean. um, I got this in backwards order. Covering up crimes. Okay. When you forgive someone, you are not covering up their crime. You can forgive someone and go to the cops. That is okay and right to do. That needs to be done in certain circumstances. If you are being abused, if you see someone else being hurt, if something illegal is being done, okay? You can forgive someone from your heart and also say that's illegal and the cops need to deal with that. That is good and right, okay? Forgiveness is not waiting for an apology. They might never say they're sorry. You do not have the right to sit there and go, I'm not going to say I forgive them until they beg for it. It's not forgiveness. That's not forgiveness from your heart. That's making them want it. That's making them, that's lording them over it. Okay? Forgiveness means you recognize they have wronged you, and even if they never say sorry, you can forgive them. You know, the truth of the matter is, some people might die before they say they're sorry to you, and you still have got to forgive them. You've got to work that out. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgetting. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Scripture says this, God um, remembers our sins no more, right? And so we like as Christians to go, oh, forgive and forget. How many of you can forget those things that have really been wronged against you? Nobody? Okay, we got one in the back. It's very brave, okay? The reality is we don't forget. Neither does God. When it says in Scripture, God remembers no more, it means he actively chooses not to think about those things which we have done against him, and he chooses to act on compassion and grace and who we can be in him, and he enables us to live that life, it's not that he's not aware of them. God does not have amnesia. He does not forget, okay? He knows all things, all times, all places, all peoples, all everything, and he chooses not to act on it. That is what he is saying to us. Forgiveness is not forgetting. It just means we choose not to act on it anymore. Forgiveness is not ceasing to feel, okay? It will still hurt. It might hurt for a long time. But the hope is, God says, every tear will be wiped away in heaven. But until that day happens, whether you die and go to be with him or Jesus comes back, there will still be pain over things that people have done to us. But that does not mean, God says, don't forgive them as long as it hurts. When it stops hurting, forgive them. No, it means forgive them. Did it hurt God when we were still sinning against him and yet he died for us on the cross? While you were still hurting God, he died on the cross for your sins. That is the example we are to follow. Even if it still hurts, we are to forgive. Forgiveness does not mean trusting. Someone continually and repeatedly sins against you in the same way you are being abused, they are stealing money from you, those kinds of things, Forgiveness does not mean you're, oh, immediately, take my credit card. Sure, take my children. Sure, come back and live in my house with me. No, forgiveness does not mean instant trust. It might mean you never trust that person again. But forgiveness means you forgive what they have done. And forgiveness does not necessarily mean reconciliation. Forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. Forgiveness is you and God. God works on your heart. You say, I have been forgiven of great, therefore I will forgive this. But it takes two forgiven people to reconcile. So if the other party is continually and repeatedly sinning, you may forgive them and you need to forgive them. But reconciliation may not occur in that situation. And you need to recognize that and walk with God in that. Is the ideal reconciliation? Yeah, we talked about that a few weeks ago. May it always happen? No, sometimes it doesn't. Your job is to forgive. But if that's not what forgiveness is, what is forgiveness? Okay, forgiveness is canceling a debt that is owed to you. Okay, Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer, "Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors," which is what Jesus did for us. He forgave us our great debt. Let's read. um, uh, Let's read this verse together. Okay, you were dead in your sins and in your flesh, but God made you alive with Him, forgiving your sins. By canceling the record of your debt that stood against you, by nailing it to the cross. You've been forgiven of this great debt. He canceled it for you. He saw you like he saw that first servant, and he said, Oh, they're a hopeless situation. I've got to act in compassion. Otherwise, they are in deep trouble. Forgiveness is canceling a debt owed to you. When someone owes you a debt, whatever it is, because they've wronged you, You cancel that debt. You forgive them that debt. You do not charge that debt interest. What else is forgiveness? It's removing control. Um, You don't let that offender and that offense have control over you anymore. Um, If you are bitter against someone, you're finding your identity in how they hurt you. You're allowing, this is what they did to me. This is how they treat me. This must be in part who I am. And you start to act out of that, and it's this horrible cycle. And don't raise your hand, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one who knows what that is. And it can come up again and again, and you think you get over it. And then years later, something triggers it, and you go, oh. And you focus on the pain and the sorrow and the circumstance. And that in part defines who you are, but that is not who you are. You are not what is done to you. You are, you are what is done for you by Jesus on the cross, okay? You are not what people have done to you. You are what Jesus has done for you. You are redeemed by his blood, and you forgive because you are a child of God. Okay, So don't don't let anyone control who you are or your actions. It's also forsaking revenge. Forgiveness means forsaking your right to revenge and leaving ultimate justice in God's hand. God is the judge. He is compassionate and just. Full of mercy because he forgave you. You trust that he will deal righteously with the person who sinned against you. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, not says me, right? Okay. When I read scripture, it doesn't say, vengeance is mine, says Peter, I will repay. It's not how it works. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Justice either comes at the cross or in hell. Okay, That's when justice comes. When you are reconciled with Jesus on the cross, Or on the day of judgment, when you have not placed your faith in Jesus and you are judged for that. Uh, Let's read this verse here, Romans 12. Never avenge yourself. Leave that to God. He has said he will repay those who deserve it. That's great news, right? That's great news for us. Because um, our form of revenge, not nearly as thought out as how God does things, okay? But God only pours out his wrath on people who deserve his wrath. Those who have sought forgiveness, even if they've wronged you, will receive mercy. We should also give it. We forsake revenge and trust God. If you trust God with your salvation, you can trust God to deal with other people as well. Okay. Um, Forgiveness is also continual. It's ongoing. You may need to forgive the same offense three times, seven times, 70 times, seven times, 700 times, 7 million times, affinity plus one time, it just keeps going. It is ongoing. Keep forgiving. Um, Forgiveness is also wanting good for the one who sinned against you. Let's read what Paul says here in Romans, okay? Let's say it out loud. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, okay? There's a lot of evil in this world. Can I get an amen? All right. But you don't overcome evil by criticizing it. And you don't come overcome evil by participating in it. So we are to overcome evil with good. So let's read what Jesus tells us about how to gain a heart that desires good for the person who sins against you. Let's read this. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. You get what he's saying here? Someone wronged you? Pray for them. You pray for them, your heart's going to be changed towards them. But what's the catch here? It's the same thing we've been talking about all morning. So that you may be sons. This is tying this in. If you forgive people, God will forgive you. If you are not praying for your enemies and seeking forgiveness for them in your own heart, are you a son of God? No. This is uh, this is strong words here. Um, I'm going to sum it up right here. Okay? Um, As a Christ follower, as a disciple, let me speak to you now. If you claim Jesus in your heart and your life, he clearly says that to be in obedience to him and his word, to be aligned with what he says, we must forgive. A disciple's life is characterized by forgiveness. If you are not uh, a Christ follower this morning, um, God wants to forgive you. He has forgiven you already. He just wants you to Say, hey, I need it. He wants you to recognize that need in your life. This message perhaps hit you in a different place. It's going to hit every single one of us slightly differently. We've all been wounded in different ways. We all have different things we're working through with God. Perhaps this morning, God is speaking to your heart and saying, you want to know what? Um, You've got some sin in your life, and it stands between you and me. And I want to forgive you. And I want to show you that great mercy. Um, but I want you to recognize the great gap that you have. I need you to know how great this debt is. And maybe right now you've got that, is that pole or that tug or that butterfly or the sweaty palms or I don't know how God works in your life. Works differently for everybody. Maybe God is speaking with you about that. But you've got unconfessed sin and he wants to forgive it and he wants to lift that debt from your head. Perhaps he's spoken to you, and he said, listen, you are not what has been done to you. You are my child. You are a prince or a princess in the kingdom of God. You are my son or my daughter, and I love you. Let me me help you see who you are to me, not who you are to other people. Perhaps it is God calling you to know who you are in him for the first time, or to return to it. Perhaps this morning, God is showing you the area of your life which you have refused to extend forgiveness. Time and time again, you are refusing to forgive the person who has sinned against you. And you feel that conviction of being forgiven, but not forgiving. And you know that it's time to work with God on that. It might not be you. And perhaps you've heard God say this, I've forgiven you. Will you forgive yourself? Because so often the one who we do not forgive is our own self. The things that we've done, the mistakes that we've made, God couldn't possibly love me. God couldn't possibly forgive me. How could he use me? But he has, and he wants to. Perhaps those are the responses. As I pray, Kathy's going to come and play a little bit on the piano, and we're just going to open up the altar in the front here this morning as we worship. So when you hear God's word, and when you read it with your own voice, um, we're called to respond in faith and action. See, scripture tells us that your faith is made complete by action. So this morning, we are called to respond in faith by action. And maybe you say, man, I, I don't know what people are going to think about me if I come to the altar and pray. And you want to know it? It doesn't matter what people think about you if you come to the altar and pray. It matters what you are doing with God. You say, you want to know what God's speaking to me. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I don't care what anybody else is doing. This isn't about them and me. This isn't about anyone else. This is about God and me, and he's talking to me, and in faith, I will respond. So here's what I want everybody to do. I want everybody to stand, okay? Everybody to your feet. And I want everybody's eyes closed and I want everybody's heads bowed. And if you know that God spoke to you today, if you know that the Lord is saying, there's something that we need to talk about. There's an area that you need to be forgiven. There's an area in which you need to forgive. There's an area that, man, God just wants to do business. If you know that he is speaking to you, then I would say, move from your seat and put faith to action and come forward and kneel here. There's nothing sacred about this space except that you are putting faith to action and you're saying, yeah, I'm going to seek God. And as folks are coming to pray, you can just pray for them. Perhaps everything's going great in your life right now, but you know someone that would come forward and pray. Give them some time, but then come pray with them. Put your hand on their back and say, we're in this together. How can I pray for you? And pray for them. Every single one of us has got something that God wants to work with us on. And so as we sing this song, I would urge you, don't harden your heart when you hear his voice. Rather, put faith to action. Come forward. Talk with God. Let him talk with you. And see what he will do with you in terms of forgiveness. Let's sing and let's pray. Work, right? Um, God works in people, whether they stay in their seats or whether they come forward or whether they get in their car on the way home and realize God did something. And I, I want to respond to that. It might be three days from now that God goes, hey, you ready? But one of the things that God says in his word is um is in the old testament wow i love finding jesus in the old testament if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways i'm going to hear from heaven and i'm going to forgive their sin and i'm going to heal their land and then my eyes will be open and my ears will be attentive to the prayer that is made in this place because i have chosen and consecrated this house That my name would be there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And this was written about a place of worship. But the beauty that we understand in the New Testament, we are that place of worship. We in our hearts. And so if we pray and humbly seek God, he will hear our prayer. He will forgive our sin. He will heal our lives, our land. Our eyes will be open. His eyes will be open to us and attentive to us. And he has consecrated us and he will be with us forever. Is that not good news? And it was done because Jesus paid it all. Join us in this song. Do you believe that this morning? Wait, No, no, no. Let me ask that again. Do you believe that this morning? Yes. Yeah? You believe it for yourself? Go and believe it about other people. Extend grace freely. And see what God will do in your life and the lives of those around you. Go in peace and grace. Forgiven and to forgive. Amen? Amen.